Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today's guest, Matt Kendall, is a certified trainer of integral eye movement therapy, IEMT. He comes from a background in hypnosis and has spent a huge amount of time in his role as a change worker, helping people overcome social anxiety. In addition to regularly getting positive results with seemingly impossible cases, he's also the founder of one of the most successful meetup groups in London, Interesting Talks, which attracts high-profile speakers on all matters of hypnosis, NLP, business, persuasion, negotiation skills, self-development, and even magic. I love the fact that I'm talking to someone who describes himself as an accidental therapist. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hello, how are you doing today? Yeah, good, thank you, good. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here and hoping we can jump straight in. Uh, and if you could tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you got started. Well, I had no intention of becoming a therapist. I had finished university. I did like a, an engineering mechanical type of uh, degree and I wasn't really interested in that either, to be honest. I was actually running my own businesses and I was running a print and design studio at the time and also working as a club promoter and band promoter. And I met a hypnotherapist at a networking event, and he said to me, do you want to be hypnotized for £10? And I said, yes, I do. Because although I wasn't interested in hypnosis, I, I liked Darren Brown, I'd, I'd seen a lot of Paul McKay, you know what I mean? So I had an interest in it, mm. but not in learning it. And I went for a session with this chap, and he then, of course, found lots of problems in that £10 session, so I had to go back for six more. Um, which and he wasn't that good in in hindsight to be honest he was just reading scripts and stuff rather than doing anything else and at the end of it he said I think you should train to be a hypnotherapist I think there's something about you I think you should go and train and I said all right Uh, I had quite a lot of free time so I got lots of books I attended lots of courses I uh, I learned from I've got three or four, I don't know how many to be honest, but I have several diplomas from different schools and um, training centers. And what I did as well is I actually went and watched a lot of therapists. And I, I just thought if I, if I want to get good at this, I need to go and watch how people work because that's how I really learned by watching people. And I saw some really good stuff. I saw some very weird stuff, to be honest. And I kind of came into this whole therapy, especially hypnosis world, thinking that it was just nonsense, to be honest. 
Mm. I still hold a lot of that to be true. I think a lot of it is just absolute nonsense. I think it's a lot of people, it's a lot to do with ego and just lying to each other. And I don't really understand that. And so I, I kind of came to it like, does it work or not? Because I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in energy. Well, I believe in energy in, uh, you know, the sort of physics definition, but not as in like you have energy and you can attract things to you because um, that's just mental. And so I, I started working with people free of charge and I started putting adverts on Gumtree. And what I found out that on Gumtree, there is an endless supply of people with problems. And so you can just put a thing. And I used to put things there. So I was working from home saying, look, I'm not qualified and I'm not insured, but I am free. Would you like to come and do a session of hypnosis on anything? Because I had a book of scripts, A to Z, so I could do anything, right? Um, literally, <laughs> A to Z. Um, and I will do a session with you free of charge. I might ask you for a testimonial or for referrals, but that's it. And I saw three or four people a day for months at my house. And uh, they all knew I wasn't qualified. And I was just trying stuff out. So that's how I kind of got good. Mm. Um, I then, so I was doing hypnosis for a number of years. I used to watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. And I really liked a chap called Tom Silver, who he, was it Tom Silver? Yeah, Tom Silver. And he did this thing called emotion replacement therapy. And it's very much about the idiomotive response. And essentially what you do is you bring a negative feeling or an action into your left arm. And you, you start to release it incrementally in different percentages at a time. And then you get another feeling in your other arm, which you raise up and then you sort of replace it. And I had some phenomenal work with that. Some really, really good results. And I was happy doing all of that. I was working at a gym and I was mainly doing sort of uh, sort of weight loss, smoking, um, you know, the usual. And also I was getting more and more guys with social anxiety and I started working more and more within the dating world, basically. Mm -hmm. And I moved to London eight years ago, it was the 1st of April, 2009. And I just discovered something called IEMT. I went to a, a workshop and this was the thing which changed everything. Um, I, I, if you don't know him, Andrew Austin um, developed this. Um, he was working as a psychiatric nurse, I believe, or in psychiatric care as a nurse anyway. Um, if you go on, if you just Google it, you'll, you'll find all the, the history of it. And I went along, I'd never heard of Andrew Austin before. He's quite a controversial fella. And I thought it sounded like nonsense. That you can wiggle your eyes and you can make a memory move or change or disappear. I thought that doesn't make any sense. And I went along and I really liked him. I liked his style, I liked his content. And then uh, someone did uh, an IEMT thing on me, and I was like, "Right, this is this is uh, this is what I want to be in." This is. I knew then. I knew then that this is was going to have a huge and profound impact on the way I worked with clients. And not only is IEMT as a technique, it's also a framework of patterns of chronicity, and basically it gets people out of learned helplessness or victim mentality into a position of being its effect of cause not effect essentially mm -hmm. and it gets you out and it's because i uh, you know i'm not a very caring person when it comes to i'm not a counselor i'm not a therapist you know, i'm a change worker and so this quite aggressive technique and quite standoffish approach suited me down to the ground um because it's all content free you do some content but not real much content and it, it really is about, you know, if you need support and care, you know, I'm not the person you should work with anyway, you know, and my marketing really dictates this, that I work with a certain type of client. And 
it's not like they get into my office and they're like, oh, I'm surprised that what's happening. You know what I mean? By the time they get to be in front of me, um, they and also they, they watch the videos, the testimonials, they know mm. what's going on. And I was so impressed and so interested in IEMT that I went and did it a lot. And I was working, I was working as a, as a, at a dating company, not as a dating coach, really, but as a therapist at a dating company or two of them. And I used to do six hour sessions with people. Now, that, that wasn't just six hours of therapy. We also looked at lifestyle and lots of different things. But basically, I was doing three of three six hour sessions a week. Plus, I was running a weekend boot camp where I was working with people who had issues. And I did that for five years. And so I had a huge amount of experience. You know what I mean? I racked up the hours fast. Um, the problem is with a lot of therapists, the reason why they're not very good is because they're not doing any therapy. Hmm. Um, they're trying to get clients. And my advice is just get doing it. If you're an artist or if you're a therapist or whatever, you should just be, even if it's to no one, you should be doing it. You should always be active because what happens with therapy is that say that you, you get your little qualification, whatever it's in, right? And you're then right. Okay. What's the standard thing? I'm going to go get a website for two grand and a logo. Like that's going to help anything. And then you start to try to put, you know, your adverts out there. So you spend a load of money on Google ads and then complain it doesn't work and all this kind of stuff. And then you realize that nobody cares about the letters after your name or what associations you're in or if you're fully insured. And uh, you then don't do sessions for a long time. And so what happens is then you might get a, a referral or something, but you haven't done a session for a long time. So you feel a bit awkward about charging them. Imposter syndrome kicks in and you, you're rusty. So my advice is, I don't, know if the, I don't know if the key demo is basically therapists or whatever. Just keep, just do therapy. If you're a therapist, do therapy. Just It doesn't matter if you're being paid for it. Just do it and then create case studies, create testimonials, get referrals. But you should always be doing sessions. If you're a therapist, you need to do therapy. Or if you're a coach, you should always be coaching. Because uh, so many people aren't doing this. They're working on their website. If you, I don't have a website. I don't have one. I haven't had one in about six years. But people constantly email me asking to work with me based purely on reputation. And I do talks and stuff as well. But um, I haven't had a website in years. If I did, I'd, I'd have too much. I, I turn a lot of work down because my, um, my, my I, like I said, I, I'm actually a therapy trainer. I train people in IEMT. It's only a weekend course, but then there's aftercare and mm. uh, assignments and things like that. Um, and I and I lecture. I did a lecture last night on IEMT and that was to 120 people and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was through a company called Funzing. So does that answer? I know that was quite a long answer. No, it's absolutely, it's, it, no, it's, it's absolutely great. It's absolutely great. And there's there's a number of things that I want to go back and, and, and talk to you about. Um, this might be a longer podcast. But it, it sounds, it, for me, it was interesting because someone said to me, and I can't remember, it might have even been you uh, when we spoke previously, or it might have been someone else, that people that try and make viral content or viral videos tend not to ever be successful because their focus is to make viral videos. Okay. Um, people should focus on having good quality stuff and it naturally becomes viral. And it just struck me that maybe something similar to, uh, you were kind of saying that, you know, the therapists that are out there trying to attract people through the website, through this, actually need to stop and focus on actually the content, which is doing therapy. Do you know, when I first started getting into NLP and therapy, I, because I, despise the self-development industry. Um, I run the largest self-development meetup group in the world with 23,000 members, but I despise a lot of it. In fact, I actually do a lecture called Why the Law of Attraction Will Ruin Your Life. Now, I 
now I, I used to be very much more vitriolic and on my soapbox and, you know, shooting down sort of Tony Robbins um, and comparing him to certain past dictators and things like that. But I kind of moved on from that because the thing is, I've realized the sadness and the abuse that goes on within these organizations. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I first realized this was nonsense when I went to an NLP group in Manchester. And first of all, I was thinking, this was my first time at an NLP group, and it was about learning how to attract money to you. I just left uh, university, and I thought, well, I need money. And so I thought, if I can, I, I just had to get my mind right to attract money to me. So I thought, well, look, and I was quite, you know, stupid, I suppose. I'm not stupid, impressionable and, you know, suggestible, I suppose. And I really did need money at the time, and because I didn't want to work. And so I went along. And I was expecting, because this is when NLP was really big, so this we're talking about 12, 13 years ago. I was expecting to go into a room and basically see the Avengers, you know, super people. What I saw was a room full of pretty broken people, more than anything. And the leader, was he's basically said, every second there are thousands of transactions going through the air. And I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. All we need to do is create a net and catch some of them. And I thought, this is absolute bollocks. This is absolute bollocks. And to do to find out how you create this mental net, um, you had to go for a, a two-day training, which I think was two and a half grand or something. Something ridiculous, right? And I was thinking, but he said, but this is guaranteed to work. You're... So I said, oh, this is absolutely amazing. If it's guaranteed to work, that's great. And seeing as you believe in your product so much and this is guaranteed to work, I assume you'll be happy with me taking the course and then pay, I'll pay you double. I'll give you £5,000 uh, once I've attracted the money if it's guaranteed to work. He turned down my what I thought was a very reasonable offer. Um, but what struck me is that at that moment I realized this is where abuse kind of takes, you know, uh, take you know, abuse, maybe the wrong word, but, um, but I saw there was a, a woman there who was uh, jobless. She'd lost her job and she was taking out a loan. Uh, one person was putting on three credit cards. One person was spending her child's uh, university fund on buying this absolute nonsense. So I am, I am still quite vitriolic around it, to be honest. I have stopped ranting as much as I used to, because the thing is, I'm not going to change people's minds. Once you buy into this cult-like thing, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to start going on about certain people, but once you buy into this, and I think a lot of it's to do with the breakdown of structured religion and also the family unit. So people are looking for things to believe and join, mm. and the self-development industry will pick you up and chew you up and rinse you out of money like nothing else. And there's no tangible results if it's all mindset. So I, I really, so when you said about beliefs and stuff, I think positive beliefs or empowering beliefs or self and that was just made up by the, basically what you should be thinking about is, am I good at something or not good at something? Not, but once you start bringing beliefs and stuff into it, you start to kind of really make everything very convoluted. Basically, it's about skill set. And a lot of the stuff about mindset training is like, if you think yourself, that you're a good person, you're a powerful person, then you'll be, no, you need to learn how to do it. Stop trying to get out of putting the hours in. And I've always found this, like I, I, I'm where I am now and I'm very well paid. I've got a great job, a great life, but I've earned it. You know what I mean? I have earned it. I've done in the last six years, 381 events by myself. 
Do you know what I mean? I've, I've worked with thousands of clients. I've really put the hours in and people go to me, oh, it's all right for you because you had this. But I, you know, when I was 21, I was out pounding the streets of Manchester in the rain, handing out flyers when, when my friends were at home watching TV. I, w- I was out there doing stuff. And I think what a lot of people get sucked into in the self-development industry, in the change work industry, is that um, you can be great or powerful. Or And I always find this people who want to be powerful comes from a place of insecurity anyway. Basically, we should just be trying to get to the middle of being everything's all right. You know, you don't need to be powerful. Things are fine. And so I think that a lot of the... Um, the NLP cult and the, there's lots of different kind of cults of people around. They get sucked up. They get rinsed out of their money and then they start getting having to borrow money from family members to continue their training. And it is really a sort of quite bad. And hopefully it's going to get more highlighted. Um, and it is very much like a pyramid selling system. I've mm-hmm. lost several friends. One of my friends is in psychiatric care now who got involved with a certain education forum or whatever it was called. And I know I could I had to stop taking phone calls from him because he would call me up with his sales pitch. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What, I don't know if you actually asked me a question there. To be honest. I'm not sure, but it's it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating hearing. You know what many might say is a, a different perspective on all this. I want to go yeah. back. You, you mentioned when I asked you, you know, how you got stars and what you did. That originally, you started doing things for free, and yes. you put on Gumtree. You know that hey, guess what? I'm not qualified. I don't have insurance, but hey, I'm free. Yeah. Um. And it just led me to think about or something or explore something with you, which is there are some people who would say that an aspect of hypnosis working um, is certainly helped by positive expectation. So if mm. someone thinks, hey, guess what? I'm going to go and see someone. Hey, that's why people, you know, they often get clinics on Harley Street because they get the Harley Street name. So people turn up with this expectation. Well, he must be great. He's on Harley Street. Look at the certificates yeah. on the wall that are all sitting there framed. Yeah. So I'm just wondering that given that you almost kind of did the opposite, which is, hey, yeah. not qualified. Uh, I am free. Um, you know, I, I've got the insurance. Was there any noticeable difference, uh, you would say, with the results that you were getting? Or did actually the fact that people responded, even in those circumstances, aid to the fact that you think this stuff works? OK, brilliant, brilliant question. And you know what? Last night I did exactly the same thing. I did a presentation on IEMT and also some, basically some submodality based work of, you know, you get a memory, you change the submodality, see how it changes the standard unit, you know, the SUD, the standard units of disturbance out of 10 when you change the submodalities. And we did adding time into things, you know, sort of, you know. And then in the second half, I did about IEMT. Now, at the beginning of the, um, of the talk, I said, who knows about me? Out of 120 people, three people knew me. One person had seen me speak before on a different subject. I had 120 people in two hours without any kind of expectation because they didn't know what IMT was. And so basically IMT is like EMDR. It's essentially hold a negative memory, have your eyes moved. You're no longer able to recall the memory in a real simple format. Okay. And so when I first started with these clients who didn't know me, and I never promised an outcome. I don't think you should. I think if you're promising an outcome, you really need to sort of stop it because people who come to you wanting an outcome are in a very bad place to make a decision anyway because they're in the middle of the problem. So what I do is I work on the problem that's there. I don't offer an outcome. So basically, I've taken I've people with lives are really bad, less bad. I don't offer them to be, you know, a lot of people go, I want to install some powerful beliefs. It's like, Shut up. What you need to do is not be in crap 
you don't want powerful beliefs. You just don't want to be in a pile of crap for your life. So when I first started working with people, I, I kind of had this attitude from the beginning. I was like, I don't know what, what I can help you with. Basically, I can stop you being in as much pain. And I've always had this kind of belief that if you've got a stone in your shoe, right, it hurts. It can alter your way of walking. It can be embarrassing. People start asking you what's wrong. But there's different ways of dealing with this. One is to keep powering through, powering through, going through the pain. One is to change your walking so you don't do it. My, my way of dealing with this is you stop, take the shoe off, throw the stone away, right? Then after a little while, how's your foot? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine, yeah. That's my way of dealing with change work. So you look at what's causing problems, take that out, and you don't need to put all these big, super happy feelings of everything's great on. Because when you do that, you're just you're creating a time bomb for the future. Because I know people who are really positive, and they you can tell they're on the verge of a breakdown. You know <laughs> that things are going to go. Because the thing is, it's like that: the higher the highs, the lower the lows. You know, the higher the highs, the lower the lows. So if you're dealing with people who are mentally happy. They're going to be mentally depressed at some point. I have a sort of a milder sort of frequency range in the middle. And I think that's, that's much more stable for a personality. Um, I do have light highs and I do have lows, but mainly it's sort of in a much tighter band. Um, so when, when you work with people, obviously there's an expectation of what's going to happen and what changes they want and stuff. But it was really good working with people who didn't know because what, when coaches and therapists qualify, what they do is they try to coach or therapize their friends, neighbors, associates, people who know them. So what you're doing is you're getting false positives because they like you and they want you to be nice. You know what I mean? They want to, they want to, they want to help you, you know, and by giving you sort of good feedback, they think that they're helping you and they're not obviously because they're giving you, it's like if you're a cook, and if you make some food, right, then you put that out for people to sample. If you give it to your friends, they're going to be, oh, my God, this cake's amazing. It's great. And it could taste awful. <laughs> it could taste absolutely horrible, right? So the, th the best thing to do is to actually get real feedback because that will judge your efficacy as a therapist and the actual skills that you're using. So the thing is, is that when you're working with someone for free, when they know, hey, guess what? Not qualified, don't have insurance. They're not going to think twice, are they, about pulling their punches in terms of giving you honest, genuine no. feedback. So, And to be honest, if you're working with somebody and they're paying you, I never offered them an outcome. Mm -hmm. So people go, let's, let's work on a well-formed outcome. I think a well-formed outcome is for your life to be less terrible. That's essentially, that. I think that is the best outcome. Your life is going to be less terrible. I want to go back and talk about because you used the word five patterns of uh, chronicity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious as what to what chronicity is in terms but, of IEMT and and what what these these patterns are. Okay. All right. I'll go through a couple of them with you. So basically, <laughs> the patterns of chronicity are why people stay stuck, um, why people go from therapist to therapist to therapist to therapist, and they keep having this problem. Um, one major thing is that therapists are scared of their clients. This is so common. Therapists are scared of their clients and they want to make their clients feel good. With the um, therapy session, especially in hypnosis, the last 10 minutes, right, let's ramp up those good feelings. So when they go out, they're happy and smiling. So if there's anybody out there, they see this person. Um, they don't want the person coming out screaming, mortified, crying, bruised. <laughs> you know, not bruised, but, you know, they, don't, they want them to come out all happy and shiny because apparently that, that's good for them. 
So I'll give you an example. Of one, one, one of them, there's, there's basically like being at effect or being at cause. Where are you? Is some, I, I, your problem, is it something that happens to you or with you, or is it something you can actually control? So basically we have this sort of learned helplessness um, kind of thing going on. So this is like learned, and one of the main things is that are you at effect or are you at cause? And most people are at, you know, at, at effect, essentially. And so things are happening to them. And the thing is, you've got to be honest with some people. And so basically, it's, it's, it's these questions that are like, what if? If somebody asks you a what if question, they know the answer. So if I'm dealing with somebody who has panic attacks, what if I have a panic attack on the tube? So you simply reply, then what? Then I'll be really, really embarrassed. That's right. Deal with it. And then you can actually work with that emotion there. But if somebody asks you a what if question, they already know the answer. And so basically, I do not get in because if not, they'll ask what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. So basically, what you are able to do at this point, you're able to work out what needs therapy and what needs training. So, um, you know, what if this happens? Well, deal with it or get some training around it. And so that's one of the patterns. But people don't like saying that to clients because it can sometimes upset them. But, I, I, you know, it's fine to upset clients as long as you're doing it because you're helping them and you're not just trying to. Not, you know, I don't have I don't offend people just because, you know, just because I'm offending them. I'm just honest with them. And one of the patterns of chronicity is great. It's called maybe man. And this is to somebody who can't if, if, if you are going to work on somebody's mental health and memories and stuff they have to be certain of their experience if not how can you calibrate test or measure uh, what you're doing so uh, the classic example is when you think of this memory now out of 10 how strong is the emotion mm, seven or eight okay this is we have a problem here you have eight fingers if you had seven fingers, that would be radically different, wouldn't it? Well, yes, of course. So when you think about this memory now, 7.5 is acceptable. How strong is this emotion? It's eight. Perfect. You need to get them to commit to their experience because if not, you can't calibrate what you're doing. And often people do something and they'll go, what's it like now? They'll go, Oh, it's the same because they haven't written down any details of that memory profile or structure, whatever you want to call it, the submodalities of it. A, a therapist like, oh, nothing's changing when in fact change is taking place. So I, I did a, I was doing some demonstrations with people yesterday. This girl had a, a, a level eight of this memory um, of the pain that she was in. And then I did this thing. And I said, so when you think about it now, what's like? She goes, it's the same. So I said, OK, out of 10, how strong is it? She goes, oh, it's six. So there's a 25% reduction right there, but you thought it was the same. Yeah. Imagine if I cut off a quarter of your leg, would you notice? Well, yeah, you know what I mean? But, that, but then you have to put it into things which they understand. If I took away a quarter of your salary, would that be a difference? Well, yes, of course. So although you've gone down by a quarter of your pain, you, you fail to report that. So you've got to get really tough, essentially, we're, and these patterns don't allow the client to escape answering you. 
And it's not to bully them. It's just they don't know how to answer the questions. And what a lesser experienced and less confident therapist will do will appease that and they'll go on what they're saying. But no, that's not how things work. If you're coming to work with me, you're going to answer the question because I need certain information to know how I'm going to work with you. So when I say, when you think about that memory now, what's it like? You go, well, do you know what? It happened quite a long time ago and you know, it's, it's all right. That's not the question. So when you think about that memory, what's it like? Well, yeah, yeah, the thing is it's sort of quite hard to get. Okay, look. Before the memory was a movie, it was vivid, it was associated, it was seven out of 10. When you think about that memory now, what's it like? Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a picture. You know what I mean? So you've got to, I often ask the same question multiple times until they answer. And do you know what? This way of working, actually, you've got to train your clients how to answer questions. Uh, because the thing is, as soon as the client dictates the session, the session's over. Yeah. You can't run a session. It's like, imagine if you went to a dentist, right? And the dentist was doing a filling. You go, actually, that hurts. Do the other tooth. It doesn't make sense. So a lot of the times when I'm asking questions, people who don't know the interaction and dynamic might see it like I'm being harsh. But I am being harsh. I'm not being harsh. I'm just not allowing them to escape the questions I'm asking them. And these aren't personal questions. I'm not looking for personal information. I'm looking for them to report their experience more often than not. Um, and not when I say the experience, everything is content free. So say that you got bullied at school. And when you think about it, you want to tell, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to say, but when you think about it, it's like a movie and it's associated, it's colorful. You know what I mean? That's the information I want and need, not the actual content. And people will start, when you start to do IMT, what happens? It brings in time orientation and logic. So people will actually start to give you a more logical, sensible answer rather than the emotional experience of it because it's beginning to change. So you've got to start. And so this is what you need to do. You need to keep coming back to it. Um, some of the other patterns, just thinking off the top of my head, uh, some are a bit longer. To, basically, but testing for evidence um, of what remains instead of what's changing is very, very big. So when you see somebody, maybe after a week or even at the end of the session, go, how are things? It's all the same. Well, what's changing? You need to look at what's changing because as humans, I think we are quite, uh, we don't like change. And the thing is, a lot of people don't go to a therapist to change. They go to justify their problem. Hmm. It's somebody else who couldn't help me. It's somebody else because you think that you're special in some way and your problems are not fixable. As soon as somebody comes into my office, I don't do any rapport building. I'm like, hi, I'm not mean. I'm like, hi, come in, sit down. Do you have a memory that sticks out for some reason that's negative in some way? Not about something we're going to work on today, but just a negative memory. Yeah, okay, cool. Hold it, hold it, and I'll do it as a dress rehearsal for when we go after the actual problematic memories. And from the beginning, they're like, this is different. Because usually when you go to see a therapist, you'll be like, okay, then what can I do for you? What's wrong? No, no, no. When you come to work with me, it's like, think of a memory, do this. Right, so why are you here? Oh, because I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'll start. I, there's n I don't do any kind of rapport building. I'm not trying to appease them. I'm there to do a job. Mm -hmm. And my job is to help them stop feeling crap and to stop these horrible negative memories uh, that they've got in their head coming up and these flashbacks, these dreams, whatever it might be. I'm not there to listen about that. And the thing is, when they, they've done this story so many times for every therapist, they'll sit down, take about half an hour, from beginning to end. But the thing is, they're the worst person to report on anyway, because they're in the middle. The, the way I see it, right, 
if I walk past somebody in quicksand, right, I'm not getting in. And they're like, no, come in here, come to, no, you come to where I am. I'm not getting in there. I'll throw you a rope. You come to where I am because I'm on solid ground. And a lot of therapists are far too eager to get into the quicksand with the client and then you're both screwed. Do you think this is where, you know, the term burnout comes from? Uh, it could, this is, I think, it, I think burnout is quite, you can have burnout in any profession, really. I think that, uh, yes. Well, therapeutically that, speaking, you know, yeah. this idea of taking on other people's stuff. Well, yeah, absolutely. So I, I deal a lot of um, horrible stuff. So I've done a lot of sort of sexual abuse kind of cases involving men. Well, they are men now, but it was generally when they were, you know, when they were boys, when they were children. I don't want to listen to that. I don't. It'll ruin my day. And it'll re-traumatize them. No one wins. Hmm. So with IMT, we're not denying what happened. But talking about it, that's of no value to what the work that we're doing. That's counseling. That's care and support. IMT's change work. I want to know how it affects you now. So what's it, what, what's it like now? Oh, well, basically, when I'm going to meet a new partner, all these feelings and stuff, boom, right, we're off to the races. Now we've got something to work on. So there's certainly an argument to say that, you know, if someone's coming to see you and guess what, you are not their first port of call because they've already been around the house and tried this person, yeah. that person, the other person. They're going to know right from the beginning when they work with you that <laughs> this is different. Absolutely. The thing is, what I do is I send them a information sheet, like a form. I also do a Skype 15, 20 minutes. I don't do any therapeutic work on that. I'm just seeing if they're suitable for me to work with. And also, I have got a lot of testimonials online. And these are video testimonials, not video testimonials, but they are um, conversations recorded on Skype, actually. I, will, I do them video now because I'm doing, uh, I've got, I use much better products. And these were from a few years ago. But these are half an hour in length. I only see clients twice, usually, three times max. Mm. And I do a half an hour conversation with them, usually between three to six months after the sessions. And I just, that's my marketing. So if people want to work with me, I don't do any price shopping. You know what I mean? I don't, I, and I, I don't really do many private sessions because it's not worth my time. Financially, it's not worth it. Um, you know, I live in North London. My therapy room, which I just have get by the hour, is down in uh, Mansion House near, you know, Bank, basically. You know, and I charge, you know, I charge 120 quid an hour, which sounds glamorous. It's not. I make more money than that sending out one email from home. So for me to do a session, I have to basically make sure that I'm in town anyway. So I do them before I go to interesting talks, if I'm doing an event or something. Because um, it's, it's certainly not about the money when I do sessions. It's, you know, out of 100 quid, you're going to take at least 20 quid out for costs and travel. 20 quid that for an hour's work plus the before the hour. You know what I mean? It, it soon doesn't, it's not 100 pounds an hour or 120 quid an hour. It breaks, you know, that's... Mm -hmm. It's an hour of one-to-one -one contact, but there might be four hours of work. You know what I mean? So it's not, um, it's people say, oh, it's all right, you get 100 quid. It's not like I'm doing eight hours a day, it's 100 quid. You know what I mean? It's like I might do one session a week or something, or what we you know, however many I do. So I don't do many personal sessions anymore, because my job now, I see, is I'm much more effective teaching 12 people on how to do this, or giving a lecture to 120 people. So have you got, I know when we spoke uh, originally about you coming on the podcast, um, I often like to get people talking about some real cases, real people that yeah. they've, they've met, they've dealt with, and the seemingly impossible has yeah. become possible, uh, yeah. and fairly rapidly. I'm wondering if you can share a couple of tales with us. Oh, I've got hundreds. One of my favorite ones is a guy called Andre. Uh, Andre was living in Newcastle. He was a student, 
Very, very good looking guy. He met me uh, on a forum or something, something like that. I think it was through essential skills. And anyway, he looks like Ronaldo, the good looking one, not, you know, the Brazilian. And he really tall, really good looking, really slim, 22, something like that. No, but young, I don't know, young guy. He was at university at Newcastle. His life was awful. He had incredible social anxiety. He um, lived in a kitchen. Well, not in a kitchen, but, you know, uh, at, like at a, a university, you share a kitchen with like eight people. Kind of it's not like, a, like a flat. Lodgings, whatever you call it, digs. Anyway, he was so scared of his flatmates. And they weren't bad people. They were just people. He would get up before they woke up, have breakfast and leave. Go to the library, because that was a 24-hour library. Go to his lectures, sit at the back with a cap not make any contact at all, arrive late, go to the back, leave just before the lecture finishes so he didn't have to speak to anyone in his lectures. He would have lunch in the toilets in a cubicle so he didn't have to make any form of contact. After his lectures, he would go to the library in the corner with a cap on, sometimes not even doing work, um, until his flatmates were in bed and then he would go home, rinse and repeat that. Um, so it was a pretty bad case, this guy. And this we've actually got this as an interview. He's called Andre, if you go to my uh, YouTube uh, thing. Well, we did a couple of sessions, you know, and he called me from a barbecue. He was having a barbecue with his flatmates, and he was tripping balls. He wasn't feeling super cut. He was just all right. Do you know what I mean? He was just all right. And he'd already had a problem with women and approaching women. Um, he sent me an email the other day. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, he's so confident now. He has been with multiple partners. He even goes to adult parties and stuff like that. You know, like torture garden and things. Because he's so mm. confident in his in his sexuality and everything now. Uh, I think he was a virgin when he met me originally, but now he's he's very very experienced. This is like a number of years ago now. But he w he went from eating lunch in the toilets to um, having barbecues with his flatmates to getting into relationship. You know what I mean? And that was in a matter of weeks. So that was a really, really good one. Hmm. Um, uh, Judy Van Nierkirk, that's an interesting one. You can Google her. I worked with her. She was kept captive by her father and raped by him on a daily basis, along with her friends, um, his friends, sorry. I did a couple of sessions with her. She originally had writer's block. Um, and, I was, I was like, and then all this came out. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Um, and again, that interview is online. You can listen to what. And she's now working with Jack Canfield and all different kinds of superstars, you know, out in Vegas, I think. Uh, that was a really, really good one that I liked. Um, I've had people, so I've helped people with a lot of uh, what we call approach anxiety, literally approaching men or women and helping them uh, to do that. And a lot of them have now married, have children. I, I once got this really nice email uh, from this woman who I helped uh, with social anxiety. She sent me an email going, thank you so much. Um, we, we worked together a long time ago, just to let you know that uh, I, I, I have met the man of my dreams and we're having a child and um, it's going to be a boy and I'm so happy about the work we did together. I'm going to name him after you. We're going to call him Mark. It's like my name's Matt. Didn't have the heart to tell them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have, so, so, so that was one of my favorites. But there are literally, even like last night, right? So I, I did a talk last night to 120 peeps. I say peeps because I'm trying to get down with the kids. Mm. I'll get on Snapchat soon. And um, this girl came up to me at the end and she was probably like mid-20s, 30s, something like that. 
and she had some sort of illness or something. I'd, I'd never, never asked about it, but she has had this feeling of feeling like she's had a cold. She has this, what feels like a shawl, basically, from her chest upwards. And it's been there for years and years and years. So I was like, okay, cool, cool. So we did a few things about some negative memories. And then I do what you may know as the lazy eight. I do that kind of work as well, brand identity, which is all part of the IMT protocol. And within a conservatively is about five minutes work that we did just after the talk at the front. And basically it just dissipated. And so I tried to challenge them to bring the problem back and she couldn't bring the problem back. And she nearly burst into tears through relief, you know, because this is something that's been a problem, just this muscle to muscular tension basically. Mm. So that was just a great thing. Then people last night were coming up to me because I get people to do the actual IMT, I get them to do stuff in, in the talk. And people coming up to me going, you know, I've had this memory for 30 years and it's gone. Where's it gone? Where is it? Is it behind the state? You know what I mean? So uh, just have, I, I just, I, I, I get, I sort of get a little bit blasé with, with the feedback because I know how powerful the, the thing is. So when people experience, I, I expect people to have a life-changing experience and I deal with it because it's like, mm. well, that's kind of what, do you know what I mean? It's just somebody goes, oh, you know, my life has changed. I'm not like, oh, well, that's amazing. It's just, well, that's, well, that's because that, that's kind of the, what I'm expecting to be perfectly honest. I'm more concerned if it, if people don't get sort of changes like that. I never know what changes there'll be, don't get me wrong, but, um, but I do, like I say, if I'm on a, if you just Google my name, Matt Kendall, go on YouTube, it's not a very good channel at the moment, but there's case studies on there. Um, and there are some of my favorite cases on there. And also, I've got hundreds of e I'll put them online sometime. It's just interesting to read, but but they're kind of my favorites. Andre was a great one. And by keeping contact with a lot of people mm -hmm. who I've worked with and, you know, seeing people, how they change and develop. But, you know, you can't take too much credit. You can take your credit for a little bit, but it's then what they... I always say that coming to see me is like, if you're wearing sweaty, nasty clothes, you've been to the gym, I'm the shower, right? What you do afterwards is up to you. You can go put your old sweaty clothes on or you can get changed and go and do something else. So I provide the opportunity for people to change. I don't create that change. So I don't do any training or anything like that. Well, I do mm -hmm. train workshops, but I don't... I'm not a coach. I'm not a coach, right? So um, I often refer people out to coaches or to training centers or different types of things. Because I always say you cannot therapy your way to a problem. I'll deal with your anxiety and emotion. The training, you need to go somewhere else to do. Sure. I think it's really interesting that there's um, that you, you talked about you know challenging her to, to get the problem back. And the subject that's come up on the podcast before with other people is, you know, this idea that we shouldn't be fragile around change, you know, that why would you be fragile around it you know they're going to test it thoroughly when they leave the office so you mm. may as well make sure and test it yeah. thoroughly inside um so i thought that that was really interesting and, and really cool if there are people that are listening to this and they're just sort of starting out in the field of change work or they like the idea of iemt um are there any books or things that you would recommend that you've read that have totally transformed the way you you do things no not books uh, the thing is i <laughs> People say, I see you've got a big bookcase behind you there. A lot of people have um, basically sort of procrastination, information overload. When I first started about hypnosis, I read a couple of books. I read, didn't even read a book. Went to go watch some people, watch some videos online, got on with it. You know? Um, 
I think that all this shelf development is quite dangerous about people just buying book after book. The, the more information you have, the less you actually tend to do. So everyone's, the more you learn, the more you earn kind of thing. Well, yes, if you apply it. Um, I don't believe that people read like two or three books a day like that uh, Ty Lopez, who I absolutely despise on every level. But, you know, I, I think that rather than getting books, go and do stuff. Go and do stuff rather than keep reading books. So I... So short answer no is I don't have any books I recommend. The Book of Life. Uh, I actually recommend to go and do things as opposed and, um, to... Who's the author? Uh, no, no, The Book of Life. That was meant to be a little joke. But it no, I know, I'm teasing. Right. I, was oh, just, right. I was just going with you. Oh, right. Sorry, I should have noticed. Uh, so I might write that, The Book of Life. A little book of hate. Yeah. Um, no, there are... Do you know what a really good book I did like was uh, uh, Improvisation in the Theatre. I can't remember for the life of me. Improv, it's called... <clears throat> That's a really good book about, um, well, it's about theatre, but it's a very good book about status and the masks that people wear. So, so it's not about therapy, but it is about therapy. Um, what, a book which I love at the moment, it's, it's oh, that's dot-com secrets, Expert Secrets is the one I'm reading at the moment by Russell Brunson, uh, which is fabulous. And that's very much how to create a movement around something. But if you're getting into therapy at the beginning, I've actually, if you go on to, again, my YouTube channel, I've got some marketing lectures on there. The, the number one thing you should be concerned about is your marketing because it doesn't matter how good you are as a therapist. If you haven't got clients, you don't have a therapy business. And try explaining that to your landlord or to your spouse or to your children. You know what I mean? And this is like people go, well, I just need to get the right energy and I'll attract people. That's just absolutely retarded to think that way. But the thing is, there's a lot of money in selling people hope like that. So... My advice is to learn marketing skills. I'm not good at marketing. Then you need to learn. Do you know what I mean? You need to learn. There's no way around this. If you're, if you're self-employed, probably 80% of your time is going to be actual working on the business and stuff and probably about 20% working with clients. Well, when we talked about you coming on to talk about rapid change, is yeah. there anything that you thought would come up that would be nice to talk about that I just haven't asked directly? I, I, I definitely think that this... In, in rapid change work, I understand change can happen very quickly. In IEMT, it can happen very, very quickly as well. But I, I, I think that we should move away from this I can stop you smoking in one hour type of mentality. It's dangerous. Um, and I think that if you're trying to do something like that, you might be doing things which are maybe not the best skills. Um, you know, it's... I, I don't think, yeah, rapid change is good, but don't put, don't have a stopwatch. You know, yeah. I want to help people in the shortest time possible. I do hour sessions and I usually, like I say, I usually do two hour sessions, two times one hour sessions with clients within 10 days. The second session really isn't that needed most of the time, um, but I do it because I want to see how it's worked and I kind of sort a little and I, in the second session I'll do I'll actually do more metaphors of movement work which is more metaphorical work as opposed to IEMT to help and then give them advice and a good talking to about you know future stuff rather than doing much change work to be perfectly honest but I think we need to move away from this it's we need to move away from this ego driven culture we have within change work and coaching I couldn't give a shit if you've got celebrity clients I just don't care Right. And so saying that you're a celebrity therapist, you need to stop that. Um, I've worked with some celebrities. I don't bang on about it. You know what I mean? It's like I, I could. Well, I wouldn't because one, 
you know, client confidentiality for one. And two, because I don't feel insecure enough that I have to keep going on about it. Work, work, I went to go see some places on Harley Street. Have you ever been in some of the buildings inside Harley Street? Hmm. It's Some of them are just plain awful. Okay? It's just awful. You go in there, it looks lovely to walk down and go, oh, this is weird. You go inside, it's like, what's this shantytown effort going on? Do you know what I mean? So I've always... You know, if you feel like you need to work on Harley Street to say that you've made it, again, I think it's to do with the therapist's own insecurities more than anything. Um, I would avoid working on Harley Street. I've actually been offered a clinic on Harley Street for like tiny amounts of money, you know, because my, my friend owns them or uh, not owns them outright, but has clinics there. And I'm like, I'd prefer to work at Mansion House. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't want to be... Uh, People, I'm a Harley Street therapist. It doesn't mean anything. You know, I could say I'm a nutritionist, rent a room on Harley Street and become a Harley Street therapist. I don't need mm. any qualifications. I just need 50 quid an hour, whatever it is, to hire it, right? So I think we need to move away from this arrogant type of my results are better than your results. I can help people faster. Um, I, you know, and all, it's just like, calm down. Who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for your own ego? Or are you doing it to actually help your clients and stuff like that? I've always been sort of very, you know, I've, I've always had pretty good self-esteem. So I don't need to, do you know what I mean? I, I don't need this feedback to actually feel good about myself. Because, I, you know, I quite like myself. And, and in England, that's sort of frowned upon, I know. But I do. I've got a good life. I do work hard at it. And I think that we sort of need to, again, we definitely need to move away from this kind of competitive um Who's got the best website, the biggest following on Facebook? Who has the biggest, you know, when you go to these seminars at like Hilton Hotels and it's like 400 people whooping and all this nonsense. We need to kind of move away from the feel-good therapy and actually look more on sort of how does therapy work, work on a more neurological level, sustainable level, that helps clients to make change rather than for them to feel good in the present. Matt, if people like what they uh, what they hear and they want to get in touch, how can they do that? Where can they go? Okay, I'm on uh, the Book of Face. I you can just I think it's under the Matt Kendall because uh, somebody else called Matt Kendall. So the Matt M A W T Kendall K E N D A L L. I'm also on Meetup. Uh, it's interesting hyphen talks hyphen London or type in interesting talks London or interesting talks Meetup. You will find me. Um, you can email me. If you're going to email me, just email me a question. Um, I get so many emails a day. If you just email me a question, that's cool. It's matt, M-A-T-T, at interestingtalks.co.uk. That's matt at interestingtalks.co.uk. I don't currently have a website. Um, if you're interested in doing the IMT training, again, just drop me an email. I'm going to do one in... I, I, I usually do two or three a year. I think I've done one this year because I've just been lazy. Um, so I will do more this year, but if check out interesting talks, interesting talks, I do, I'm taking it down to one event per week now, but every week we have different therapists, you know, you, you'll recognize a lot of the people. Jamie Smart speaks there recently, uh, quite a lot. Uh, we've had people I know, Adam Eason has spoken there before. Um, oh, uh, Anthony Jackwin spoke the other week. So we do have quite a few people that you probably know. Um, it's eight quid a ticket. We have 60 people. It always sells out. It's every Wednesday in um, Earl's Court. So if you want to check those out, please do so. And 
look at my videos. I've got lots of free marketing resources on YouTube. Just Google my name, Matt Kendall, and you will find me. And you just go to the marketing lectures. I, I speak at a thing called the Best You Expo, which happens every year. Um, if you're if you want me to come and speak at your group for your events, I'm always happy to come and uh, speak at events and stuff all the time. It's my form of giving back as well. So you can obviously just drop me an email through there to contact me or just get me through Facebook. I'm not hard to find. I make myself quite available on social media. Like I said, the best way to get me probably through Facebook or through um, email. Fantastic. Well, we'll put all the links as well on the page on the rapidchange.works website and there'll be a link to that page on uh, the iTunes details as well. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to chat to us today. Uh, and I hope uh, that the listeners as well uh, not only found it interesting, but also we're ruffling a few feathers as we go as well. So appreciate your time. No problem at all. Very much. Thank you for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works.